Yeah, dirt. That's why I learned it on the farm, but then I would be corrected by my, my parental units to say it's not dirt, Ben, it's soil. I, I thought about listing clay in there because that's what we know really well around here, but then I thought it would be a dead giveaway what I was talking about. Yeah, all of those descriptors I just mentioned were all soil types that are in the Willamette Valley. And if you're a wine nerd, you realize that soil is important because it's part of the terroir. That's a French word that has to do with fine wine. And terroir includes the rainfall, elevation, it has to do with um, all kinds of stuff, and that all affects the fruit. Just the type of soil can actually affect. So, grapes grown in the Dundee Hills are going to uh, taste a little different than the grapes grown in McMinnville. Or in around here we have Van Duzer, and there's actually a new growing region actually in Dallas. Did you know that? If you head out Mistletoe Road, now they're calling it Mount Pisgah. I'm not sure where they, they got that name. I think it's a Bible name somewhere from some Old Testament obscure. But anyway, we have growing region. Every, every soil type will produce a little bit of a different flavor profile. Well, I think we kind of know in, kind of intuitively that dirt's important. How many people are going to have a garden this year? How many people are going to try to grow some stuff? Okay. Yeah, you might have already started planting stuff now, now that we have spring. We had uh, winter, and then we went to summer, and now we're back to spring. So keep, keep updated on what exactly season we're in. But we know that soil's important. We grow stuff, whether you're a vegetarian or vegan or you're a meat eater, it all does require soil because even the animals that you eat have to eat the plants that are grown in soil. And we're going to be we're going to be talking about that because dirt matters and Jesus is going to use a soil reference in one of his stories we're going to read in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible or a device, start finding Matthew 13. That's where we're going to be, we're going to be camped out in that chapter today. And, uh, and, and we're going to talk about that, soils. It's one of Jesus' most famous stories that he tells. And so we're going to lean into that and ask the Lord yeah, to speak to us maybe about, about soils. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us today, whether that be in person or online. Hello, we see you. It's good to gather like this. We gather like Christ followers all over the globe. We are one big dysfunctional family of faith, and, uh, and we lift up Jesus because it was on a Sunday a long time ago that that tomb was empty, and it changed human history forever. And so we lean in, lift his name up. So would you pray with me? And today I'm just going to be talking about treasures and soils. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a, as a church family. We want to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are willing to understand and listen to you and your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13 is where we're going to be camped out. If you remember, we finished uh, chapter 12 which had a lot of really key teachings, but we also started to see some pretty heavy opposition to the ways and teachings of Jesus. You see, the religious leadership really could not embrace this Messiah that wasn't what they were expecting. This Messiah is saying and doing things that don't seem very kick-out Romish. He's talking to people who... who or the, the, the folks who don't have much money, and he's healing people, and he's talking about loving everybody. And they, they weren't really happy with that, so they're starting to get opposition. So chapter 12, most commentators think, is, is sort of a turning point 
in the ministry of Jesus. Maybe he's been a, a year or so into this, and the teaching is starting to get opposition. In fact, if you remember chapter 12, that, that, that passage that talks about that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because the religious leaders who ought to have known God's work were seeing Jesus and the work that Jesus was doing, and instead of saying, yeah, God's at work among us, they said, no, 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 you're, you're empowered by Satan. See, they didn't have eyes that could see, ears that could hear. And they were looking directly at the face of God and saying, you're Satan. When a person's in that place, that's a, that's a hard place to be. And so this opposition was happening. If you remember how chapter 12 ended, there was this interesting confrontation where Jesus' family comes to where he's at. I think he's in a house at this point, And they're outside kind of knocking on the door. Hey, we'd like to, we'd like to see our son. Is he in there? And Jesus has this odd statement where he kind of expands the whole idea of family and says, well, who's, who's my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God, who are part of the kingdom. That's my mother and sister and brother. So he expands the idea of family. It, it sounded a little bit kind of rude at first, but he's really kind of embracing this fact that, you know, family goes beyond just bloodlines, right? Family is, is, has to do more with kingdom and love than just bloodlines. So that's how we end, and let's pick it up in chapter 13. We're going to do kind of a, a 30,000 foot view, and then we'll come back to that parable of the soils that I mentioned. Because there's, a, there's about eight parables, depending on how you count them in chapter 13, and we can't spend a time on all, all, all of those. So we're going to circle back to the, the soil one here in a minute, but let's take a 30,000 foot view. So we have in the beginning of chapter 13, that same day, Jesus went out of the house. Remember, we just talked about he was at the house there. And he sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he, and he told them many things in parables. Right? That's the setup of chapter 13. So he's in a boat. I have, I have a photo of a boat. It's not really a photo. It's an artist's rendition. We know that first century fishing boats look like this because they actually found one pretty well preserved in the Sea of Galilee. Now, the sail was not on it, obviously, but they could tell that this, that they, we actually know that's what they look like. And it's about 27 foot by 8 foot. So you boaters out there, it's a 27 footer. And uh, I don't know what kind of outboard motor these things had. I don't think they had any. I think that's the outboard motor right there. And uh, so they would, he got in the boat. Good idea, because we know from acoustics that, you know, water carries voices. So he gets in there, probably his 12 disciples, plenty of room. They were probably climbed in with him. And kind of a big moment, and they're all in that boat, and Jesus begins to teach in parables. Teach in parables. And he starts with, if you notice right away, that parable of the soils, or dirt if you prefer. We have the parable there, starts in verse 3. He tells that one. And then look at what he says in verse 9. And this is something that you're going to hear Jesus repeat over and over again. He who has ears, let him hear. There's a reason sometimes Scripture repeats things, because we often have great ears, but we aren't listening. And so he'll say over and over again, and there's another phrase he uses too, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so we're going to hear what the kingdom's all about. We're going to hear about treasure in this chapter. But he who has ears, let him hear. So we got the parable of the soils. And then right away, his disciples pull a hey moment. You see, up until this point, Jesus really hasn't used this teaching style. 
He hasn't really done the, the parable thing. Uh, up until this point, he really hasn't used that literary device, if you will. And so his disciples right away kind of pull the flag and say, whoa, 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 why are, you, why are you teaching like this? And so we get a little explanation. I think it's important for us to read here. The disciples say, hey, why do you speak to them in parables? Uh, I mean, why, why not just tell them plainly, right? That's, that's the subtext there, just tell them plainly. Why do you speak in parables? And Jesus gives this curious answer. He answered them, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, here we go, and hearing they do not what? Hear. Nor do they understand. And now get ready for a hyperlink. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, here's our hyperlink, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And, and with their eyes, they can barely, uh, with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, have, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, you twelve, for they see and your heart and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it and, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They have a special role. And we're going to see that toward the end of the chapter. These twelve have a special role. That These things that have been hidden all this time have now been revealed to this ragtag, smelly football team, and they are going to impact the world. In fact, we're sitting in this room because they did a pretty good job. So we're going we're to lean into that. So that's why he's telling you these stories and parables, so that you'd have to actually own it. You'd have to open your ears to hear and open your eyes to see. And I love, I love the parable device. Because what it, what it does is it sort of makes you invest a little bit. That a lot of times, these parables that Jesus will tell, and not just in this chapter, but parables are really just generally a story that uses images and things that are familiar and teaches a spiritual truth. It's simply put. So Jesus will use that over and over again. And he's not trying to, to hide anything, what he's wanting you and I as the listener and, and them as listeners is to lean in and, and say, what does that mean? To kind of own it rather than just hear it and go, okay, that's interesting and move on. A parable makes you kind of invest a little bit. You've got to kind of wrestle with it. And that's, I think, why Jesus wanted to use this device. And so he, he, he thought it was important to tell his disciples why he's made that preaching change is here's why I'm doing this. And you guys are lucky because you're going to hear things that have been, been hidden for a long time, and later they're going to share those stories and hyperlinks as the church expands, much later down the road. So we get this explanation and the hyperlink, and then right away we get an, a, a, the parable explained. And we're going to read that in a little bit, so just put a, put a marker in there. We're going to come back to that. And then Jesus tells several other parables. He tells about the weeds, Parable. You familiar with that story at all? It's where you have this farmer who's got a field, and say it's wheat, and, uh, and it's planted and starts to grow up, but then overnight some enemy comes in and starts to plant some other stuff. A lookalike wheat, they call it darnels, 
It's an actual thing. And they would plant this in the crop like an enemy would to kind of mess you up so that the, 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 the harvest would be not as easy because it's got now noxious weeds in there. This was actually an ancient practice that enemies used to do to each other. They would actually do this. They would sow weeds in their enemy's field so that, and, and just play this out, so that when it happened, the, the crop would be less, uh, they wouldn't be able to have, it's going to be affect their economy, they're not going to be able to feed their armies. It's an actual tactic that they used to use in ancient warfare. In fact, the Roman government outlawed it. No more doing that. So it was kind of a big deal, and the people then would have known, oh, this is what he's talking about. But uh, we have this parable of these weeds, and, and it might be a little shocking that you have this... Both the good stuff and the bad stuff are growing at the same time. And, and the, heart, the, the folks working in the fields were like, should we, should we take the weeds out? You might know this story or this parable. Should we take the weeds out now? And the owner's like, no, don't do it now because it might disturb the growth of the good stuff. So wait till the harvest and then you go get rid of the weeds and burn those up and then, and then we'll have the good crop. And, and there's a hint of judgment here. Jesus is telling something to these disciples and these people listening, that there is a judgment. If you reject the kingdom, there is a judgment. I know we don't like to hear that, and modern, modern, modern ears don't like to hear that, but there is a judgment. And I'm thankful that we have God who is far more just and fair than any of us could ever be. And so we, we take comfort in the fact that if you've said yes to the kingdom, then we have nothing to fear. But he tells this, this particular parable, and then he moves on to a few other ones. He talks about a mustard seed. And that's verse 31. And it's kind of a simple idea. It's a small seed that turns into something big. And we're sitting in this room because that actually happened. It is a small seed that started in ancient Palestine and has now reached global. Right? So that's just a simple, simple idea. Then you have yeast. Same idea. Starts small and then uh, grows big enough to feed because it's enough to make bread for a lot of people. So the yeast is a similar idea. Starts small and goes big. We, we can understand that. And then, verse 34, if you're wondering where I'm at now, verse 40, or 34, we get another hyperlink. Remember, this is moments where the New Testament writers would address old Hebrew scriptures. Uh, again, old's probably not a great term, but the ancient Hebrew scriptures. And we have one in verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now, in this case, it's Asaph, who was one of the contributors and prophets uh, to the Psalms. So this is actually from Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then, as you'd expect, we have another explanation. Remember, this is a new device, and his disciples are not quite sure what to do with this. So he, we have another explanation of, of the parable of the weeds, and where Jesus will talk about what that meant. Because his disciples are basically just saying, could you explain what you mean by that? And so we get, it's kind of nice, we get, we get to sit in with the, the twelve and listen to the teacher teach us things. It's like we get to be in the group for a little while. And Matthew kind of brings us in, and we get to sit around Jesus' feet and hear the answer. And so he'll tell them about this parable of the weeds. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and, and the enemy who, who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So he, he's telling all the players and what's going on here. 
And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, what? Let him hear. Now, I, I realize this is another uh, parable he's telling about judgment and those who accept the kingdom and those who reject the kingdom. And if you say yes to the kingdom, you have nothing to fear, both now and not yet. And it's interesting that Jesus is telling these 12, and he's saying, you guys, you, you have a special role. You're, you're hearing these things, these secrets that have been hidden for so long, and you're going you're gonna to be able to tell these to other people. And so he's giving them explanation. And because they're part of the kingdom, they get to expand that kingdom all over the globe. So we have the, the parable of the weeds explained, and you've got to think, fiery furnace, did that ring any bells? Fiery furnace, think Daniel, right? Uh, Daniel and his buddies back in the day when the king's like, you better worship me. And when they're like, nope, uh, we're not. And, uh, you know, you, you could throw us in that fire, but we're, we're not going to do that. And we think God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we ain't bowing down to you. Remember that story? It's a fiery furnace story, kind of a story of judgment and of God stepping in and doing something awesome, right? Because God steps into that fiery furnace with them and rescues them. It's a cool, cool moment. But that's probably what original hearers were thinking. Oh, fiery furnace, Daniel. So then we have a few other parables. And by the way, these, these parables, there's about three of them that just go rapid fire. None of the other Gospels have them. Just Matthew has them. We have the parable of the hidden treasure in a field, right? And that tells us it's valuable, right? You're going to sell everything to go get that because it's so valuable. So the kingdom is so valuable, you're going to be willing to to, to put it all on the line for the kingdom. Similar idea, the pearl of great price. You've probably heard that phrase before. He talks about a pearl. It's great value. So then what do we learn? The kingdom has great value, and you're going to be wanting to throw, throw everything in the hat just to get a, get, a, get a hold of it. That's how valuable it is. Then we have one more parable about the good fish and the bad fish, and that's starting with verse 47. Your Bible version might say dragnet. That's the old word for that. But there's another similar parable to like the weeds parable where you have a, a situation where, hey, we're going we're gonna to gather up everything and then there's going to be some good and some bad and we're going to keep the good and throw out the bad. And the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. That's verse 49. And throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So kind of some, some heavy hitters in here. Uh, and all these parables, are, again, are meant for us to, to lean in and listen and understand what he's trying to say here. There's, there's lots going on with these stories, but to lean in, to own it, and have ears that hear and eyes that see. And there will be a judgment day. But those who say yes to the kingdom, we have nothing to fear. Now, we don't, we're not perfect, but we've said yes to the kingdom. And so he's, he's kind of lighting a fire here a little bit, under every listener's heart. And then I love in verse 51, did you catch this? After all this teaching, all these stories, and they've got to lean in, and they're trying to figure it out, and Lord, explain that one to us, don't get that one. After all of those, he, in verse 51, he asked them, so do y'all get it? Just thinking, they're sitting around and looking at him, and, and Peter's like, just say yes, just say yes, we get it. 
I don't know if that's what's going on here, but they, they right away say yes. And I kind of, I'm like, really? Did you really get all of those? Because we're still struggling with some of these parables all, all, all even now. But they say yes, and then Jesus tells them, okay, well, these, these are going to be great because you're, and he gives them an instant upgrade. Let me read it. 50, uh, 51, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the ma- a master of a house who brings out, uh, brings out his treasure of what is new and what is old. They just got upgraded to like scribe status. They just got a PhD. And you read over that and scribe, scribe was an important role. I mean, you're the ones that had to kind of make sure you're keeping the letter of the law. Some of them were copyists and they couldn't mess up. He just gave them like a PhD in theology. So you guys are going to be like these scribes because now you, you not only have the, the, the first covenant, Old Testament, right? What we would call, you have this and you have my new teachings. And so you're going to be going around and you've got a, a, a warehouse of old treasures and new. You're going to connect the, the, the way God intended it from the very beginning of Scripture all the way through. And they did it. When, when the church expanded, they were, they were telling the old and the new and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. They're bringing out all the treasures. In fact, there was one particular writer in the New Testament that constantly did this. And he was a, he was a rabbi in training, a, a guy named Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And he brought out old treasures and new a fulfillment of this scripture. So, if they didn't know then, maybe they figured it out later. <laughs> they all said, yes, we know. Now, he gets through all of this, and it, I think he needs a breather. Do we need a breather? All of those parables. So he decides, hey guys, I'm tired. Let's go home. So, they go home. Where, where was home for Jesus? Not a trick question, Nazareth, right? Goes home, wants to see you know, the family, you know, maybe, maybe give some more explanation of that weird interaction that he just had with his family a little while ago. But he goes home, and, uh, and he's welcomed. Or wait, is he not? He gets home, and he starts teaching. This is now toward the end of the chapter. He went to his hometown. He began to teach in their synagogues. And they start going, don't we know this guy? Like, his family's right over here. Like, who does he think he is? We get more rejection, this time in his hometown. That's where that whole phrase comes. You know, you've probably heard it before in different contexts. You know, the prophet is not welcomed in his hometown, right? And the result was not, not very many, many miracles could happen. They didn't have any faith. So he faced people that just stubbornly said, I don't want to believe you. But then he had other people that's like, we've heard you already, Jesus. We've had enough Jesus stuff. I, I think that right there is probably America's problem. Because Christianity has been around for so long, it starts to get too, well, that's, that's, I've been there, done that. That whole Jesus thing, it's almost too familiar, right? I think that's where America might have struggle there, to rediscover the kingdom ways of Jesus. Not just dismiss it, because oh, I've heard all that stuff before, that Jesus stuff. So people were rejecting outright, and then they were also rejecting because they were just too familiar to them, and he couldn't, couldn't uh, really have much ministry there because of their lack of belief. So all that to say, it has been a big day, and he finishes with an unwelcome hometown. So let's go back and read 
Now, the parable of the sower. You're like, wow, that 30,000-foot view. Here we go. Verse 3, now let's talk about this parable. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell along the thorns, and the thorns, uh, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening, right? So then we have the explanation in verse 18. When anyone hears the words of mine and, 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 and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in, the, in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So that's soil type one. As what was sown on rocky ground, soil type two, this is the one who, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorn, thorns, this is soil type number three, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and, and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So we have the four soil types. Um, and other than the first one, the other three at least grow something, right? Did you catch that? I mean, other than the, 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 on the path, right? That, the bird snatches it away. But three of the four, something happens, right? But only one of the four really produces a crop. So you've got to have 25% there, if I do my math correctly. So what do we, what do, we do with this parable of the soils? These four different types. You see, Jesus isn't, again, trying to hide anything from us. This isn't a riddle. This isn't some kind of mind teaser. Uh, we lean in and we say, huh, well, am I, am I the kind of person that can grow f- fruit? Can, can God produce fruit in me? What, what, what am I? Which, which of those? Take a moment and just think through that. Which of the four are you? Are you the rocky path? You heard it, but it kind of goes really quickly. This is another new idea, eh, another Jesus thing. Are you, are you that? Are you the, the path? Are you, are you maybe the, yeah, which soil are you? The rocky soil? Where, yeah, kind of, well, that makes sense. And then for a little while, you're, yeah, that's cool. But when it gets difficult, you're done. Um, thorny? Maybe this is where a lot of us struggle or have. Where, you know, we hear it, it's good stuff. And it kind of gets in there, and the plant starts to go, and then oh, life is tough, and anxieties and worries, and then ah, i got to pay for that, riches. and I, I think, in many ways, that's, that's a, the American church to some degree. We've had a pretty comfortable run for a while, but when it gets difficult, we've got to hunker down, really go deep, right? Get those roots deep instead of just ditching it. When it gets difficult or, or money starts to choke out the joy, choke out, the excitement. So then there's the good soil, where you've got a, a big production. One seed turns into, what, a hundredfold? That, that's a huge harvest. Which soil are you? And what's the point of this soil thing? I think it's just one point. If I were to boil it down, I think it's 
Well, you and I need to be the kind of soil that, that God can produce fruit in by trusting and obeying Jesus. Be the kind of soil that God can produce fruit in by trusting and obeying Jesus. What he says, we put into practice, right? Easier said than done. But by doing that, we're setting the stage for God to do incredible fruit through us. It's so valuable, this kingdom, that we would, we would give it all for that, for that kingdom, to be part of it. And so if you said yes to Jesus, you're one who gets to produce fruit that God does through you when you trust and obey Jesus. How are you? Where's your, where's your soil? What's the, what's the, the health of your, of your soil today? But what do you do? Is there something that's threatening your growth? Are there some weeds choking things out or some thorns choking things out? How's your soil and how's your fruit production? Is God doing some amazing fruit through you? So there's a couple of steps maybe you, you and I could take today. I mean, maybe it's time we, we plow it up and start over. Some of you are doing that right now when you're getting your gardens ready, right? Just plow it all up and we're going to start fresh. We can't change what happened yesterday, but we can start today, plow it up and fresh. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm in your kingdom. I'm saying yes to you now. I can't fix the past, but with you, I've got a future. So maybe, maybe you're at that point. You just need to plow it up, start over fresh. Or maybe you're someone going through trouble, uh, troubles right now, anxieties. Maybe, maybe instead of letting those, those troubles knock you out, how about you let those troubles mature you? Mature your faith. Maybe, maybe those can be things that spur you toward growth. And again, going deep. It's a big thing about wine, actually. Wine grapes got to go deep because the soil's not great on those hills. Go deep. Maybe, maybe, yeah, let those troubles mature you. Or maybe there's some weeds you need to weed out. Some stuff you got to say, enough is enough. It's too much. These weeds are choking, choking things out. They might have looked like good things. They might have looked like Darnells. They might have looked like wheat, but they're poisonous and, and, and uh, they're going to hurt you. So maybe you do some weeding this week. What are some things that, like, enough is enough? I need to get those things out of my life, do some, some weeding. What are you battling with the most right now? You pull that weed out. Maybe, maybe today's the day. How about this? Maybe some of you need to do some fertilizing work. And that is really adopting a lifestyle of prayer, scripture, and fasting. This is, fasting's been a thing that I've really, really working with the last couple years. You, you, can, you can develop these, and it, it makes the soil such that God can produce great fruit in you. So maybe you need to do some of that fertilizer work, time in scripture and prayer, fasting. And maybe there's this one, surrounding yourself with healthy community, healthy spiritual community, like this, like a church family. People who love you, love you enough to tell you, hey, watch out. And you're going to take it from them because you, they, they, you know they love you. Healthy Christian community. That's a place where you can have encouragement, accountability, spurring on to love and good deeds. I don't know which one of those you need today for your soil, but I believe God wants to produce great fruit in us. Imagine a church family like this, a bunch of us producing great fruit. And what does that fruit look like? Justice, mercy, a shoulder to cry on for somebody that has nobody. The widows and the orphans and those who have or displaced from their, their country, the foreigner. Maybe it's, it's mercy. Maybe it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get all nine? 
You say, that's the kind of fruit. Imagine a church family like us producing that kind of fruit. I think if people saw that, they'd want to be part of that. They would want to sell everything and get a bit of that kingdom. You with me? Let's pray. Father, you're good and powerful. Father, we want to be the people that produce great fruit. You're going to produce fruit through us. We want to make sure that our soil is in that, that space where you can do awesome things. We stay connected to Jesus, your son. That he's producing great fruit in our lives. We want to see that happen. Father, we want to see a great harvest of great fruit, the best fruit from our church family. So, Father, we lean in, trust, and obey your son that you would do mighty work and produce fruit in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.